So, one thing that you need to know about me, I don't watch the news. And here's why I don't watch the news. It's not because I'm a millennial, and um, it's, it's mainly because I know what's going to be on the news without even watching, right? Like, you know that there's going to be some political issue that will cause division. You know that there's going to be a story about some horrible thing that an evil person did, and you know that the weather forecasters, especially here in New England, will shatter our hopes of ever having a spring. <laughs> but if you're, if you're like me, I mean, when you watch the news and you look at the things that are going on in this world, doesn't it make you just wonder why things are so bad? Like, why do people have to suffer under political oppression? Why do children go hungry? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why does cancer exist? You know, we're going through Mark, and in Mark chapter 1, you know, we're going to see that Jesus is giving a glimpse, that God is giving us a glimpse of how Jesus will radically change this world. The Roman Christians that were hearing Mark's gospel, they certainly had similar questions that we have. Who will bring order to this chaos in this world? What's the solution to this world's issues and problems? Well, the solution comes in Mark 1 through the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ. And this passage will show us the authority of Jesus as he preaches the kingdom of God. And what we will see is the result of this teaching is that the worldly powers of Satan will lash out in battle against Jesus. And so in our passage, we will see Jesus bring order to the chaos of this world. So if you have a Bible... Turn with me on page uh, 990 to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 21. And as we're reading, what I want you to see is I want you to see the authority of Christ in his message, in his ministry, and in his mission. Okay, so it's Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21 on page 990. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever And they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was." 
very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to see your authority in your message, in your ministry, and in your mission. Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to your word, show us wonderful things. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are our great rock, our redeemer, and our king over all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see the first thing, the authority of Christ in his message. So Jesus has begun his earthly ministry, and he comes into the region of Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus, like we talked about last week, calls the first four disciples along the Sea of Galilee. And the new disciples follow Jesus into Capernaum, where the fishing for men will begin. So Capernaum was a fishing town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a wealthy town. It had an eight-foot seawall that extended for about a half a mile with fishing piers that extended 100 feet into the lake. So this was a place of affluence, especially in the first century. Capernaum was located along a major trade route in the Mediterranean so that it was easy to trade. It's a busy fishing community with a lot of people seeking prosperity and people traveling to different places. And what we see and what we will see throughout the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus uses Capernaum as the center and hub of his earthly ministry. So, on the Sabbath, Jesus enters into the synagogue. The synagogue is a place of assembly where people would hear the scriptures being taught by local rabbis and other teachers. So it would have been common for Jesus to enter in the synagogue as the visiting rabbi or the visiting teacher and to start teaching. But when Jesus teaches, there's a noticeable difference. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 is the result of the authority of Jesus' teaching. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. So they're they're amazed by this teaching of Jesus. They're amazed in a way that created just a little bit of fear. Like, in the same way that we're amazed at the flash of lightning followed by a loud rumble of thunder. Like, that kind of fear and amazement. The people knew that there was an authority and a commanding power about Jesus that was entirely new that they have never heard before. It wasn't the typical words of the scribes or the teachers of the law that they were used to, that they had grown accustomed to. The Jewish teachers were the ones who studied the Old Testament law. I mean, they were the guys who essentially had their PhDs in Old Testament theology and law. But they were also the civil lawyers of the day because they studied the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Pentateuch. And they were the experts. Their teaching was felt by people with weight, not only because of their intelligence, but because of their position. So the scribes and the teachers of the law were given 
the place of honor at a dinner. The scribes were the ones who people would step aside as they're crossing by them on the street. So their position and their power had this authority about it. But typically, the scribes, as they teach, they would base their authority on someone else, on past tradition, on some other scholar. Uh, So they would say, you've heard it said through Moses, or you've heard it said through this scholar. But that's not how Jesus taught. The familiar passage that, or teaching methods that we know of Jesus is, you've heard it said in the past, but I say to you. So there's an authority that Jesus commands that we see in this passage. Jesus didn't rely on what other people said. He didn't need to. He's the authoritative one. He's the Son of God teaching with this sovereign authority from God. So when Jesus spoke, he taught with this authority that was like nothing they've ever seen before. There's no debate. There's no philosophical response. Jesus spoke with substance and with power. And when we fast forward to 2018, and we look at the the religious buffet of the world that we live in, and we see all these other religions and religious leaders that speak for God. But when we look at Christianity, we see Jesus come to earth, and he's speaking as God with authority. So the authority of Jesus is rooted and grounded in God himself. And that's why these people are so amazed, because they sense that this is something totally new that they've never seen before. So what exactly was Jesus teaching? Well, we get a a hint. We get a little glimpse of what Jesus is teaching back in verse 14 of chapter 1, if you want to look there with me. So verse 14 of chapter 1, it writes, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So, Jesus starts preaching, and what he says is that he's proclaiming the good news of God, that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's it's coming. And the kingdom of God was at hand because the king was there. So, we look at, at Mark 1, and we see the baptism of Jesus. And that establishes Jesus as the true Israel, who's identifying with his people. And it also establishes him as the true Son of God, who will reign as a king. So when Jesus begins his preaching ministry, he's saying to the people, the true king of Israel is here. It's me, in the flesh. The long-awaited Messiah is here. The time has, has come. The kingdom rule and reign of God is at hand. So, repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus, bringing this kingdom of God, it it comes in a spiritual sense. And this means that the people are not ready to enter the kingdom of God. So the response of the people is what Jesus is preaching. Repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus speaks with this divine authority as he preaches this spiritual kingdom of God. Now, if you're new to church or if you're not sure what the kingdom of God is, the kingdom of God is a simple concept. It's God's reign over the universe. And Jesus is the king of the universe. And the king is here. 
And his rule, his reign, his actions will bring order to the chaos of this world. So, the new spirit of the kingdom of God is here. And it will rid this world of unclean and evil spirits. So, Christ's ministry that we see in these two verses has started with amazement at the authority that he has in his message. And as we make the next movement, we are going to see in verse 23 through 34 the authority of Christ in his ministry. So, in the middle of this service at the synagogue, a man with an evil spirit calls out and disrupts the teaching of Jesus. Look at what happens. Look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23 says, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, this is uncommon in that day. right? You don't have uh, demons calling out. It's not typical in their society, especially in the setting of a synagogue. The setting of the synagogue would be, it would be something similar to this. Probably not as big, but it would be like someone standing up in this service crying out that they have a demon. And if that's you, Pastor Stephen is back there. You know, he, he would love to care for you in that way. But, so what, what we see is in the Old Testament, there's a few references to demons and demonic possession, but it's not common. It's incredibly rare. Um, and then we go throughout church history, and there's a few instances, but it's not all that common. But when Jesus was on the earth, it's like all hell broke loose against him, against Christ. And you know what? It, it kind of makes sense. Because what is Jesus proclaiming? What is Jesus preaching? He's preaching the kingdom of God. That the reign of God is here, now, in their midst. And it makes sense that the first opposer to God, Satan, would lash out all of his evil, demonic spirits filled with chaos and disorder to oppose the ministry of Christ. But little does Satan know that it's not even a fight. Jesus has won this cosmic battle. But what's interesting in this passage is that the demon actually makes three statements that show the nature of Christ's spiritual authority. We saw it in verse 24. The first thing he says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And the simple answer is that Jesus wants nothing to do with this demon. They have nothing in common. Jesus is representing the realm of God, and, Satan, and the demon is representing the realm of Satan. It's, un, it's holiness versus unholiness. Deity versus creation. Victorious king versus defeated foe. So this demon, what's interesting is he's speaking for all the demons. He's an evil representative of the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world, Satan himself. But what's interesting is that even the demons know the spiritual significance of Jesus and the kingdom of God that he will bring to earth. And the whole world, the whole demonic world, quakes in fear at the coming of the authoritative rule and reign of Christ. The demonic realm knows that their conflict with God will end with defeat and destruction, which is why he asks his next question. 
The next question is, have you come to destroy us? The demons are able to see that Jesus has come from God. The demons see that Jesus is superior over all other spiritual forces and that Jesus has come to destroy them. But there's no struggle, there's no fight, there's no resistance because they know that it would be useless against the sovereign Son of God. And the power of the kingdom of God that Jesus is preaching will overwhelm Satan's rule. So the spiritual authority of Jesus means that the demons will be defeated. No ifs, ands, or buts. What's interesting now is that in the next scene is that we see the demon called Jesus the Holy One of God. So it's interesting because it's ironic that the demon who's unholy, evil, and a created being is able to see in this supernatural way that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He's able to identify Jesus as the Holy One of God. So how will the Holy One respond? Well, look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25 says, Jesus said, Be quiet. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So Jesus responds with a single word of power. And the evil spirit shakes the man and comes out. And the word that Jesus uses actually makes us think of an image for us. So the Greek word for be quiet is literally be muzzled. So it makes, it makes me, I don't know if it makes you think of like this angry dog that's barking and biting and you, you can't train this dog. It makes you think of that. That Jesus muzzled this demon so that it can't bark and it can't bite anymore. He's bringing order to the chaos of this moment. The next time that we see this word in Mark is actually in Mark 4. And in Mark 4, Jesus and his disciples are caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. So if you live in Hall or Situate, you know what this is like. There's powerful winds, there's waves that are crashing into the boat, and Jesus is asleep. And the disciples are like, Jesus, we're going to die, wake up and do something. And what does Jesus say? Be quiet. And what happens? The winds and the waves immediately stop. And so both of these scenes, they show us that Jesus has this this new power and this new authority that he's bringing into the world through this kingdom of God that he's preaching. The chaos of a demonic spirit, the chaos of a powerful storm is no match for the powerful kingdom of God that Jesus will bring. And the response we see in verse 27 is complete amazement. Look at verse 27. They say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And their amazement is at the authoritative teaching of Jesus. They had no experience with anything like this. And of course not. I mean, this is, this is the proclamation of an entirely new order come into the world. The kingdom of God has broke into earth with this heavenly power and authority. And so the authority that they saw in Christ's teaching 
was now demonstrated in his command to the demon. So they can know that his teaching comes with authority because he's able to cast out this demon. And the demon didn't give any fight. But we look at the way that Jesus actually cast out the demon. It's with his word. There was no spell, no secret formula, no magical object. The word of Christ cast out the demon. And only Jesus has this kind of authority. And the people, they didn't understand this. They didn't get the type of power that he had. This is why they say in verse 28, he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. I mean, they were utterly amazed at the power of Christ. And I think, I think for us here this morning, as we're looking at this passage, it can be natural for us to be amazed at the power of Jesus. But our goal this morning isn't to only be amazed. Our amazement should turn into genuine trust and belief in Christ. Because it can be easy for us to be amazed by things and then immediately forget about them. Like how we were amazed at that powerful storm, but haven't thought about it really since. At least now that the power has come back. So amazement can be shallow and can be forgotten easily, but for us, if our amazement turns into trust and belief and genuine life change, then it will last for, with us forever, for the rest of our lives, and even into eternity. And so we see here, Many people are amazed by Jesus. So it's natural that the news spread across the whole region about Jesus and about what he was doing. And so we see in this next scene, we look at verse 29. Let's read it together. Verse 29. They, they leave, they left the synagogue, and they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, but, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So they leave the synagogue, they go to Simon Peter's house, and when they get to the house, the disciples tell Jesus about Peter's sick mother-in-law. Now, let's, let's try to make ourselves think like Simon Peter did. He sees Jesus cast out this demon with a word, and he connects the, jo- the dots and says... He should meet my mother-in-law, right? (laughs) And don't worry, I passed that joke by my own mother-in-law, so it was okay. (laughs) And so Jesus responds. And what does he do? He heals her with a touch. He takes her by the hand to help her up, and the fever immediately leaves. I mean, the touch from the Holy One of God will get rid of sickness, This is the power of Jesus. And so this scene, it shows us that Jesus is king over not only the spiritual world that we saw in the past little scene, but over the physical world, over over sickness. And so Christ's authority in his ministry is over everything. And throughout Mark, what we will see is that Jesus heals people with a single touch. And Jesus touching those in need is a sign of incredible compassion and care, compassion to the sufferer, and identification with the sufferer. And the result is immediate. The fever left Peter's mother-in-law, and she began to wait on them, or 
the word is actually to serve them. And the healing was meant to empower her for some sort of spiritual service. So this isn't a demeaning moment for uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus is actually introducing the new kingdom ethic of sacrificial service in this short little phrase. Because the word that we get here, that Jesus, or that, that, she, was, um, that she got up to wait on them, is the same word that we see in one of the most memorable verses from Mark. In Mark ch- chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is setting up this new kingdom ethic of sacrificial service in this short little phrase. It's amazing. So this is a pattern for us in the church. If we've been touched by Jesus, if we've been healed spiritually by Jesus, then it's going to be natural for us to serve other followers of Christ and to serve in the context of the local church. We're not simply to be consumers in the church. We're instead to use our God-given gifts to humbly serve each other in love. Not to critique each other, but to encourage each other to build people up and to care for each other in Christ. And so the mother-in-law ministers to Jesus and the disciples. Now, we're not exactly sure what this actually looked like. But what we do know is that whatever she did encouraged Jesus to continue on and to prepare him for more ministry that would come until sundown that night. So look with me at verse 32. We're going to see this next little scene. Verse 32 says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let them speak because they knew who he was. So Mark, he's writing in hyperbole here, saying that the whole town is gathered at the door. But what we can see is, Jesus has become a rock star. Fame has spread all over Capernaum, and people want to be near him. They want to see what he's going to do next, or they want to be healed. So the word spread, the crowds came, and Jesus, being full of compassion, what does he do? He ministered to all these people late into the night as he healed people and as he cast out demons. This is a long day. Jesus healing people, casting out demons. So put yourself in this scene as a new disciple of Christ, as a new follower of Jesus. You, you follow this man who has authority over both the physical world as he heals people and over the spiritual world as he casts out demons. And you come to your friend's home to see, to hang out with Jesus and to be together with your friends. And you see this, the whole town come to Jesus to be healed. And this isn't like, you know, this group of people coming to a house. It's like people that are sick, people that have demons like this is this is a crazy scene that we have coming on here and mark summarizes it just in one verse that people with uh, a lot of physical issues people with demons are coming to jesus and what does he do he's casting them out he's 
healing people. He's caring for them. It's an amazing scene. Now, if you're new to the church or checking out Christianity, you might think, see, I knew these Christians. I knew that they were crazy because they believe that demons are real. I knew it. And it's true. We do believe that. But it's not as crazy as you might think. The Bible says that we live in a present evil age. And, I mean, you, t- you turn on the news, and what do you see? You see a present evil age. And Satan serving as the ruler of this world, who's blinding people's eyes and hearts. And so in our secular culture, we don't have demons like we see in this passage. We don't have that. But we do have the worldly system that blinds people's eyes, that deceives people's hearts, and that preaches lies to them to keep them in their unbelief. So there are spiritual realities in this world. But if you're a believer in Christ, that shouldn't make you be afraid or cause any fear. It should just wake us up to the reality that there are spiritual things going on around us. And thankfully, we have the Bible that, that has so many passages that address this spiritual warfare that we experience in this world so that we would be equipped for this battle. And ultimately, we know that Jesus has won this battle. He's won it all. So if you trust in Jesus, you can claim the victory of Christ on your behalf. 1 John 4, verse 4, is a verse that has encouraged me as I think about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles. And it speaks to believers. And here's what it says to us. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Isn't that encouraging? Encouragement that is to us. So even though Jesus has won, the war against Satan is not over. He opposes believers. And the Roman Christians in persecution from Nero, they knew this. The audience of Mark's gospel knew this. And that applies to us as well. Satan is opposing us as believers. So we need to fight. And how do we fight? Well, we fight with this truth. We fight with this authoritative truth that comes to us through God's word. We fight with that. What else do we fight with? We fight alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't be Christians in isolation. We need each other. And that shows that we're trusting in God and in his church. And what's the last way that we fight? Well, we fight with prayer. Spirit-empowered prayer that will pierce through the darkness of this world. And it's inspired by the word of God. So every Sunday morning, when you see someone up here praying, like this morning we saw Pastor Stephen praying, that's the type of prayer that we need to emulate. Not just the rote prayer that we pray before meals. Not stuff like that, but prayer that is inspired by God's word, that encourages us to overcome and fight this spiritual battle that we have and that we live in. And we fight this fight knowing that Jesus has all authority on earth and in heaven. And we see it in verse 34. We see it in verse 34 as Jesus 
doesn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So again, this is Jesus muzzling the demons. And if you think of that image as demons being dogs that are barking and biting, Jesus muzzles them. The demons that we face in this world are like dogs that whimper, even though their, their mouths are muzzled. They can still whimper and make noise. And so as we come to the end of this first day of Christ's ministry, it hasn't really been a success yet. Like, yes, people are flocking to Jesus, but they're coming to him because they view him as this great miracle worker who's bringing about relief of pain and suffering. But Jesus came into Capernaum for so much more than that. He came into Capernaum proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that the reign of God is here, and that the fullness of the kingdom that Jesus brings is coming because he's the Messiah, and he's the Lord of all. But people don't see him that way. They don't understand the fullness of Christ. So I have to ask, how do you see Jesus this morning? Do you see Jesus as this authoritative king of the universe? Or is he just your buddy that gives you stuff when you ask for it? What we see is that Jesus, in his grace, he cares for his people. And so even though they come to him with with incorrect motives and motivations, he still showers grace, compassion, and love toward them as he heals people and as he casts out demons. And as we're going to see, we're going to see now the, the authority of Christ in his mission. So after this long day of ministry, what does Jesus do? He retreats. Look at verse 35 with me. Verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So after this long day of ministry, he doesn't sleep late. He wakes up early and goes to pray before God the Father. He's seeking a place to rejuvenate himself in the presence of his Father. So there are three times in Mark where we see Jesus seeking a place to be alone with his Father to pray. We see it in this passage. We see it in Mark 6, after John the Baptist is beheaded, And before he walks on water, we see it in Mark 14, when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to be betrayed. And in each case that Jesus prays, there's a crisis. And when Jesus is faced with a crisis, there's no question as to where he will go. He finds a solitary place to pray to God the Father. So when you're faced with a crisis, where do you turn to first? Do you turn to other people to hear about your crisis? Or do you look to escape to entertainment, social media, sports, or anything else like that? Jesus needs to be our example here. He sets the precedent for us. He goes to the Father to fellowship. And if Jesus goes to the Father for fellowship, how much more do we need to go to God for fellowship? And so the crisis that Jesus is facing is that there's a temptation for him to stay in Capernaum. And it's a place of success, of security. Jesus could build his ministry here. 
But Jesus knows that he's not only supposed to be the miracle worker of Capernaum. He has a different mission. And his mission is to bring the kingdom reign of God to this world. And what's fascinating here in this little section is that the disciples come to him. They interrupt divine prayer by interrupting Jesus, the Son, as he's praying to God the Father. And they rebuke him. They rebuke Jesus. And they say, where were you? You don't have time to isolate yourself in prayer. There's ministry to do. And there's a large crowd of people that want to see you. So they're rebuking Jesus. And this actually affirmed Jesus' intentions. That the people were coming to him looking for healing instead of truth. They didn't come to hear about the breakthrough of the kingdom of God and they weren't coming to hear about the gospel or hear him preach the word. So Jesus knew the wrong motivations of the crowd, and he says, all right, let's go to another place where I can preach. I can preach the gospel because that's why I came. So it gives us a new setting that Jesus and his disciples go travel throughout all the region of Galilee preaching the kingdom of God. And Jesus has authority to dictate where his mission will take place. So his mission started in Capernaum. It's going to spread throughout all Galilee. And then ultimately we know that Jesus spreads his mission through the Great Commission, which actually reaches to us today. And so Jesus gives us this task to preach the gospel, knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. It's now transferred through the disciples to us here on the south shore of Boston. And we proclaim the message of the kingdom of God and Christ's authority through his word with us. Scripture calls us ambassadors for Christ. And ambassadors are, it's a perfect explanation of what we are because there's nothing inherently powerful about us. It's the message that we're preaching that has the authority. And so we speak with the authoritative word of God. The same word that Jesus spoke in his ministry goes with us in our evangelism. Doesn't that give you such hope and encouragement as you're speaking to your neighbors or friends about Jesus? And our hope isn't just in our mission. Our hope is ultimately in the gospel that has spread across this earth. And so we can see that the gospel of Christ's kingdom has spread to us 2,000 years later, to Hingham, Massachusetts, the cosmic battle has been won. Christ is victorious over all things. And we know that throughout Jesus' ministry, his disciples wanted to make him this political ruler and place him on a throne to establish his kingdom on earth. But what they didn't understand is that Christ's kingdom comes with a cross. So let's look to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. This will be the last place that we go this morning. It's on page 1166 in the Bibles in front of you. Colossians 2, 13 to 25. We're getting this idea of Christ's authority over all things and how the cross accomplishes that. And Colossians 2, 13 It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus came from heaven to earth to be crucified. That's why he came. And in his death, Satan thought that he won, but it's in Christ's death that's Satan's ultimate defeat. This is where Satan was made to be a public spectacle as a defeated enemy. And for us, we who once were dead in sins have been forgiven by Christ. We've been made alive in Jesus. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, where there's redemption and joy and forgiveness. And Christ is our victory because his resurrection has defeated death. So all authority in the gospel belongs to Christ. The cosmic battle has been won. And so we know that the kingdom of God is already here in the spiritual sense. Through the work of Christ, our spiritual bodies are redeemed as a deposit of something greater. But it's not yet the final representation of the kingdom of God. We look at this world and we realize that we don't live for this world. It is broken, painful, full of death, evil, and sin, and wars. This world is crying out for redemption. And God's people, I don't know about you, we live in this, in this world with anticipation of the one day that this physical world will meet up with the spiritual world and the kingdom of God will be fully realized. And that's the climax of the universe. The day that Jesus comes back with a perfectly healed physical world where we will receive physical bodies that don't feel pain or suffering anymore. Jesus will establish this kingdom where he renews his people and the universe completely. And in this world, in that world, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. It'll be a life full of blessing, security, abundance, and freedom. The power of sin and death have been broken in this world, and we will be free to be what we were intended to be. It'll be a place where we'll see God face to face as a friend, and we'll experience the presence of God for the rest of eternity. It'll be a feast on earth with our King Jesus, who will reign forever in his glorious eternal kingdom. In Revelation 7, it says that people from all tribes and nations and tongues and language will cry out and sing, salvation is of our God and King. That's what, we will, that's what we will sing. That's what we will praise God for. And that's our hope, friends. Isn't that our hope? And so we cry, come, Lord Jesus, come instill your kingdom on this earth, we pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word comes with authority. The authority of your kingdom, of your power, and of your glory, Lord. So, God, we give you glory and we cry out with all of creation for you to make things new in your powerful, restorative way. So, God, 
We pray that you would encourage us in Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that you give us authority through your word to speak and teach the gospel to the nations. It's for your beautiful name we pray. Amen.